The following podcast is a W2M Network partnership production. Visit W2Mnet.com for all of our other great podcasts, plus news, reviews, articles, and opinions from the worlds of wrestling, video games, football, and entertainment. You are now listening to The Football Five, only on the W2M Network. Welcome to The Football Five, alongside Eric Watkins, Dylan Goldman, Josh Lorry, and Sean Garmer joining us today. I'm Stephen Err. So we're going to go over the the final scores from Week 8, Thursday night, Tennessee beat Jacksonville 36-22. In London on Sunday, the Redskins and Bengals tied at 27 Patriots beat the Bills 41-25. The Jets beat the Browns 31-28. Texans hold off the Lions 20-13. Chiefs run over the Colts 30-14. Saints hold off the Seahawks 25-20. Darius beat the Bucks 30-24 in overtime. Panthers pummel the Cardinals 30-20. The Broncos beat the Chargers 27-19. Falcons hold off Green Bay 33-32. How about that, Cowboys? Beat the Eagles 29-23 in overtime. And the Bears beat the Vikings Monday night 28-10. All right, guys. Takeaways from Week 8. Ties aren't bad. And I have a poll that I want to put up on Twitter. Based upon last week, based upon this week, Everybody here knows my stance, and if you listen to last week's episode, you know all of our respective stances. So you know what? I'm at the point to where let the people decide. Do you think overtime should stay as it is? Go back to sudden death? Do like Sean says and model the college system? Or go with my idea of adopting the NFL Europe system? I'm... Throwing it out there to the universe right now. Everybody knows what I think about ties. I would rather see a kicker off. Or you know what? They need to bring back the what they had with the XFL as a coin toss. Where they had the two guys run 20 yards to get the ball. And that should be how they decide the games. But back to talking about the actual games... We're starting to see the elite teams separate themselves from the rest of the pack. And the one consistent team thing with most of them is a great defense. I mean, say what you want about the Eagles. That was a winnable game for them. And their defense was the reason why they were in it. Because, I mean, of the two quarterbacks, it was uh, Carson Wentz who really looked like a rookie in that matchup. Uh, You look at the other teams in the NFC. We're talking about the Seahawks. Great defense. It isn't as dominant as it's been in the past. When we're talking about uh, the Vikings, the only reason we we are talking about them as being a Super Bowl contender is because of their defense. On the AFC, there's only really one contender for this Super Bowl, and that's the Patriots. And that, again, is because of their defense. Yeah, it helps they've got one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever throw it. 
but their defense is why they are not the Pittsburgh Steelers right now. You know, as we talked about elite teams, I want to bring up the Oakland Raiders because they moved to 6-2 and two last week after being the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This was their second straight road game. They've been on, on the road for most of the season, and they've won all their road games. Coming in, they had pretty high expectations, and they've definitely, they've probably even exceeded those expectations so far. As I said, they enter 6-2, and two, entering their Sunday night football matchup against the Broncos. And my takeaway is, is the Raiders look like the team in the AFC West to end Denver's five-year division winning streak. They have all the pieces. Derek Carr was fantastic last week, and so was Amari Cooper. They clearly had a connection. Latavius Murray is a very solid running back. And their defense, it is questionable. They have been porous at times, but they really do have the pieces in Khalil Mack and others. They have a centerpiece on defense. You just have to put it together. And then they have a head coach in Jack Del Rio that will do anything to help his team win, whether going for two, when you can kick an extra point to tie, he will do anything. And this team has what it takes to take down Denver. Denver right now has an equal record to them. And basically, in my opinion, whoever wins that Sunday night football matchup is going to give us a really, really telling observation as to who is going to win this division. But for right now, I thought it was going to be the Chiefs at the start of the season, but it looks like the Raiders might be the team to take down the Broncos in that division. Uh, I get what you're saying, Dylan. And yeah, the Raiders have been impressive. Honestly, Derek Carr is looking like the best quarterback. He is looking like everything his older brother David was supposed to be coming out of Fresno State when he went number one overall in the draft. But I do not trust their defense. And yes, the Broncos are incredibly limited on offense. But so were they last year, and they were able to win the Super Bowl off the strength of their defense. I I still can't give anybody else in the AFC West that a shot at the title until I see them have a defense that can compare to the dominance that Vaughn Miller and that group brings for Denver week in and week out. Well, my thing is, number one, I would never object to seeing a human scramble. It would make things more interesting. And number two, the Raiders, you have the offense to win here in the modern NFL, but you still need a little bit of a defense. And I think because Trevor Simeon is playing some more like a game manager and has been doing well, especially without C.J. Anderson as of late, you give the defending champs a shot until somebody knocks them off. But with the way the Raiders are and the way the Raiders are playing on the road... First five-game road winning streak since 1986, and the fact that they're already six and two, they're going to be nipping at the Broncos' heels. And if the Raiders don't win it, they're going to solidify a good playoff spot and at least make this an interesting race. Yeah, I want to bring up another point about the Raiders. This is good and bad, mostly bad, but there is some good in this. They did commit 23 penalties, an NFL record last week. It was sloppy. But they found a way to win in overtime. In any way, they found a way to win despite committing 23 penalties. They're going to have to work on that because discipline is a huge part at the end of the season and even in the playoffs if they make it. But 
They did show a positive sign that they know how to overcome those penalties, but they will have to find a way to get over those penalties because they cannot be committing 23 of those and giving up 200 yards when the postseason comes. But the offense is there. They have a they have a uh, they have a franchise quarterback there. They have Amari Cooper, Michael Kraft. He's a sturdy veteran, and the defense is a major concern. But if they can hold up, which they haven't been able to so far, then I don't know if. But they do have the pieces to break that Broncos streak. Do I think they will break the Broncos streak? That is that will that will that will be. We will see as time as time goes along. But for right now, they are definitely the team that has the best chance to break that streak. Now, Dylan, Dylan called the Raiders elite. <clears throat> I, I, I don't I don't want to call them elite. They're a great team. They're six and two. They're tied for first with Denver. They play each other Sunday night football. We will get to that game later on in the show. Elite, no. And uh, Eric, you and I, big fan, Colin Cowherd, listen to the show again today as I do every day. And he brought up a great point that I had no idea about. Have you seen the Raiders marching a victory in all these games? One against the Saints. Lost the, uh, had the loss against the Falcons, okay. Seven against the Titans. One against the Ravens. Three against the Chargers. And six against the Bucks. Yeah, they beat the Jaguars by 17, but that's the Jaguars. So calling them a light, uh, not so much. The Patriots are a light. Patriots dominate opponents. That That's an elite team. Uh, but... Derek Carr, um, and I can't stress this enough, how much I'm a fan of Michael Crabtree. Everyone wants to give Amari Cooper all the credit. Have you seen Michael Crabtree's stats? He's blowing Amari Cooper out of the water. He's the one that gives him that veteran presence, and he realizes he's got a young quarterback like Derek Carr and how he made himself a very functional, very key part of that San Francisco offense right across the bay, and he's like, look, it's going to be on me to be kind of the number one guy while Amari Cooper gets his feet under him for a couple of years, and he's embraced that wonderfully. And granted, yes, the Patriots have more impressive wins, but in the NFL, it's not college. There are no style points. There is no committee. You gotta beat the team by whatever margin that the playing that's in front of you. The Raiders have done that. Yes, a couple bounces here and there, and they're easily three and five, four and four, what have you. But the fact that they do find ways to win, that's enough for me. Now, Eric. Uh, like I said, you're, you and I are both fan of Colin Cowherd, and Colin calls Derek Carr MVP. I don't agree with that. We talked, we gave our MVP picks last week. I don't believe you agree with that either. Uh, no. Josh, yeah, Josh Dillon, Derek Carr MVP. Does that sound right? It doesn't sound right to me. He's on the short list of MVP candidates, but I, I would put it into two tiers. Right now, at God level, we've got Tom Brady. Man, I hate this. I sound like a Patriots fan right now, gushing over Tom Brady. But yeah, we've got him at number one. We've also got Ezekiel Elliott at that same level because he has been the engine powering that offense down in big Dallas, Texas. 
slightly below that, we've got Ben Roethlisberger, as long as he doesn't play next week, because he's not ready to come back, but he's going to play and cause me so much pain. We're going to have, we're going, we've also got Matt Ryan, Derek Carr, and as a legacy pick this year, we've got Russell Wilson. You know, this year there hasn't been the typical amount of superstars and every MVP caliber players. So Derek Carr is definitely on the list because he's been the engine behind the six and two team, but I don't call him the MVP right now. I said Matt Stafford last week. He's on the list, but Detroit is not doing as well. They are at 500. So Tom Brady's there at the top tier. So is Ezekiel Elliott. So is Dak Prescott. So is Matt Ryan. They're all on the list because they're helping their teams. They made dramatic improvements from last year. And like I said, we're seeing a decline in the MVP caliber player. Tom Brady's probably at the top. All those players follow. And Derek Carr is probably on that list because of what he's done to help the Raiders be 6-2. and two. But I would not call him the MVP just yet. Oh, I was just going to say, if it wasn't for Tom Brady... Unfortunately, to my chagrin, tearing it up in just these four weeks, and I listened to that segment too, I would put Derek Carr in a better conversation, but what he's doing is just downright sickening right now. Tom Brady's my MVP. 1,300 passing yards. What was this? He played four or five games. He's played, I think this was his fifth. Okay, so he's doing pretty well for himself. It's averaging 1,300 by five. Oh, I'm not good at math, but you get the point. Tom Brady's the MVP because look at his numbers. Like, it's it's just astounding. So let's go to this tie here in London. And, uh, and again, I said this before we came on air. Why? How? What? I'm, I'm baffled. Another tie in which kickers miss field goals to win the game with little time left. I am absolutely baffled. Eric still believes that this tie is fine. The tie is not fine. I said it last Ties week. Ties are I'm for commies. Ties are for commies. Commies lost the Cold War. We don't need to go there. Ties are for suits, damn it. Not for sports, not for wars, not for any of that. So... Last week, Sean Garmer came on the show. He won't be joining us tonight, by the way. He came on the show last week, and he said, if you want to eliminate ties, put the college system in there. Start at the 25 and go from there. Now, I, I agree with that. Now, this week, I'm saying, you know what? The reason we're having all these ties is because of kickers. Get rid of them. Okay, first of all, Considering the rules with extra points and how kickers have been faring, I'm fine with getting rid of kickers. I think you would free up an extra spot on your team, and everything should be a drop kick. You already have specialized kicking balls anyway. Let the punter earn a little bit more money. Just food for thought on that one. But even if you eliminate, even if you put in the college system, Unless you make it unlimited, you keep playing until someone wins, 
then you're not going to eliminate ties. The CFL has a cap on how many possessions you have in the regular season under the overtime system. They have a tie every couple of years. They had one at the beginning of this season. And even then, look at how many times you see college games go three, four, five, six overtimes. Do you really think that NFL players, and with all of this about player safety and hitting and this and that, reduced practices, do you really think that players are going to put up with that? I don't think so. That's why I say, give each team a possession, stand sudden death, then call it a tie after 10 minutes. That extra five minutes you don't have to play, that works wonders as far as for the players getting rest. And you're saying all these ties, do you realize this is only the first time since 1997 where the Redskins were involved and Gus Farratt head-butted a wall on his way out of the uh, off of the field that we've had ties in back-to-back weeks. You're actually increasing the frequency because of this system. They made the right idea in tweaking, but they did it wrong. Yes, this is the first time since 97 we have ties in back-to-back weeks. This is also like the seventh tie in eight years. So yeah. obviously it's, it's not just that. It's not just, yeah. you know, back-to-back. Hey, yeah, and uh, earlier today I was listening to uh, Bill Simmons' podcast from yesterday, and he was talking about how he thinks that uh, the PATs haven't been moved back has had an impact on the kicking game because it's taken the chip shots that every kicker used to get in rhythm out of the game. I don't know if that's a valid argument, but that's something to look into in regards to all the missed kicks, which are playing a role in these ties. Another thing that is playing a role in the ties is parity. This is what the NFL has been preaching for years, that they are the league with most parity, and we are seeing it. The thing is, it's not good parody. It's just a lot of bad football that we've been witnessing. Look, we know how the famous quote reads. A tie is like kissing your sister. I don't know if it's the best thing. It can happen occasionally, but when it happens in back-to-back weeks, then there's something that needs to change. Like, like we've mentioned, if it happens every couple of years, okay, it's going to happen. You can't fully prevent ties. But if it happens in back-to-back weeks then something needs to happen, whether it's adopting the college system, whether it's having an overtime. You know, if you go back to the college system, it can go on and on and on, as Eric mentioned. And if you want to play six, seven overtimes, if it gets to that point, I don't know if if players are going to want to play to that extent. And the kicking game has definitely had an impact, especially with the extra point being moved back on this all of a sudden, two back-to-back weeks in, in ties. Because we've seen in the first game, a 6-6 tie, both Steven Hauschka and Chandler Kanzara missed field goals. Of course, those were chip shots. We are still unsure how both of them managed to miss those. And then last week, Dustin Hopkins missed a, a, a field goal in overtime with two minutes left. So something has to change. If they want to adopt the college system, I'm fine with it but they might want to modify it a little bit to the point where we're not going six to seven overtimes, maybe starting a little bit farther back than the 25. I don't really know. 
but something has to change because, and let me mention, we almost had our third tie in that Oakland-Tampa Bay game. Yeah, we had the, the almost had the third tie. That pass, the game winner was thrown with a minute 45 left. And also with this current system, seventh tie in eight years, a couple of near ties, and you also have instances to where only one team sees the field. In this case, I will go back to Sunday night, Dallas and Philadelphia. That was a great game. Dak came up with a clutch drive. Yes, they won. He got the walk-off touchdown, but wouldn't you have liked to see what Wentz could do in such a pressure situation like Dak did? That would really help decide the beginnings of what could be a very long quarterback battle, hopefully between these two, to give one of them an early edge. Again, I get that something had to be done, I'm glad that something was done to avoid sudden death, but the NFL only got it partially right. Just give both teams the ball and call it done after 10 minutes. Because even then, you're still liable in a 10-minute time frame to get two possessions, maybe three, depending on certain things. Who knows? I think that's fair. I say, and Josh, the Steelers were the first people to come up with this after the new rule with the 33-yard extra point. We're done kicking extra points. We're going for two. I, so let's get rid of kickers. Let's all go for two. No matter what, what quarter it might be, first score of the game, go for two each time. Uh, may I note that we don't do that when Landry Jones is quarterback because... <laughs> of course not. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't, don't make me talk about that. But it's an interesting work in gamesmanship, especially because that was what the NFL was trying to do in part with adding the uh, moving back the kicks. Yeah, and I think that playing the percentages as far as the kicks and the gamesmanship, me being uh, mathematical and statistical with the probabilities and expected value... I love it because you have that extra dimension, and I think it's great. Instead of it being automatic, now you have which teams are going to go for two. Can the kickers make this? So it's a very interesting thing. And speaking of the Steelers, a little factoid. The NFL adopted regular season overtime in 1974. The Steelers and the Broncos played the first ever regular season overtime game. The result, a 35-35 tie. Things sometimes take a while before the kinks get worked out. Uh, I hate ties in sports. It makes no sense. Even in soccer, we talk about this off air. In soccer, there should be no ties. Any sport. We said it last week, too. No ties in any sport. I don't care if it's hockey, soccer. Track and field, whatever. And 1997, Herm Edwards, you play to win the game. And somebody here, I think it was Josh, he brought up the point, or Dylan, what are you guys, brought up the point that seven, eight overtimes. We've seen seven overtime games, the longest game in football history. 1990, uh, I believe it was 1998. 
Ole Miss and Arkansas with seven overtimes. In 2001, I saw that game. <laughs> and Okay, so that was that was 2001. When was that game against the Arkansas did it again against Kentucky. They won both games. When was that Kentucky game? When was that Kentucky game? That was, I think, either the next year or a couple years later. And I know there was also one with Tennessee. That one went six overtimes. Yeah, so I've heard people say, oh, you can't have double, triple overtimes in the NFL. Players can get tired. These these, these college players play triple overtime on average when they go to overtime. How are you going to say that the NFL players are tired? The college guys can do it. The NFL guys can do it. Their seasons are shorter. Okay, but when you but it's like going from college to the NFL, you're supposed to be a stronger athlete. You're supposed to have more energy. Yes, that's why they have the three-year minimum of being after your high school class graduates, because even then you're making an adjustment. Like, for example, when Ohio State and Oregon played in the first ever college football playoff national championship game, they had the longest seasons ever for a top level division in this case division one fbs 15 games now you're going to 16 in the regular season and playoffs yes carson wentz is used to this because he's played about 15 16 games a year playing at north dakota state your division two guys your division three guys are used to that because they will wind up playing 14 15 games a year in the national championship your top Division One guys, they're not used to playing that much. So, yes, even if they play a triple overtime game, that's only one out of maybe 13. Come on. That, no. <sighs> so... Yeah, I'm sticking with what I said. Eliminate kickers. are for Europe. Keep the (laughs) kickers. No more drop kicks. Make football great again 2016. Yes, thank you, Josh. Okay, so you talk about for European sports, the whole kickoff thing. You do realize that's how they settle ties in rugby, right? (laughs) We're not talking about rugby. As I stated (laughs) earlier off air, if America is not good as they – we do not count it as a sport over here. Oh, and I'm just saying, in MLS, they had, for the first eight years of their existence, they didn't believe in ties. They finally wised up. Just saying. Soccer wised is European. Up? Wised up or dumbed down? I, I wonder about that. <laughs> hey, look at the U.S.'s record and look at how players are faring over in Europe now as compared to the early and middle parts of the 90s. I think they got the right uh, idea. That, that's because we have a soccer program, but that's a conversation for another show. Bengals-Redskins, 27-27 tie. First time since 1997. Two teams, well, two games, I should say, in back-to-back weeks, ended in tie. Just damn shame. That one needs to do something about that. So let's go to the Sunday night game. What a game. We all knew this game would be hype. Absolute hype. I, I, I knew it was going to be hype. I, I told Josh it would come down to Dak and and um, Wentz, and it did. He said it went down to defense. It went down more to offense. 
the so Philadelphia held a twenty to ten lead, and at that point I was like, okay, good night. We're still five and two. I wake up the next morning. Oh, the Cowboys won in overtime. Point being, my point is, I think it's time for Jerry Jones to stop talking about Tony Romo. This is Dak's time now. There's no doubt. I've been saying this for the last two or three weeks. If this didn't prove to Jerry Jones that Dak Prescott is not worthy of being a starting quarterback, his ability to lead his team to an overtime victory. I mean, you know, he threw one interception, but his stats are fairly impressive. Other than the 19-39 completion, he still threw for 287 yards and two touchdowns. And like I mentioned, he led he led the Cowboys from down 10 to winning the game in overtime, something that is very impressive for a rookie quarterback. I'm pretty sure his first overtime, and he was able to win it fairly easily. So if this doesn't prove anything to Jerry Jones, I'm not sure what will because it seems like this team is gelling with Dak Prescott. They have one loss only this season, and their success is going to continue as long as Dak Prescott is starting and that whole team is staying together and playing like the way they've played for the entire season to this point. Okay, well, first of all, this isn't a controversy because Tony Romo isn't healthy. It will become an issue when Tony Romo is ready to play. The Jones family has gone to say as much. In fact, Jerry Jones has said, yeah, I know people People around the league are telling me that I've got to leave the hot hand in, and that is Dak. But this, is a, this isn't a problem until we've got two healthy quarterbacks. Personally, I would go with the veteran because you need somebody with that steady hand down the home stretch. But as long as it isn't an issue that's pressing, there's no reason for us to talk about it. We're just coming up with something to kill time. I mean, I agree. Right now, Dak has led you to a six-game winning streak. He's shown he can overcome adversity. He's shown that he can have great performances. He's shown that he can overcome bad performances. And just like the situation in Pittsburgh with Landry Jones versus Ben Roethlisberger, you don't want Romo coming back too soon, especially because of his previous injuries and health issues. I mean, again, we go back to Tom Brady when he first came on the scene and came in for Bledsoe when Bledsoe was injured. Bledsoe still came back in the AFC Championship game to help the team get to the Super Bowl. I can give you examples all the way going back to the 1970s and Bob Greasy replacing Earl Morrill on the undefeated Dolphins team. As long as Romo's there, as long as Romo's comfortable and Romo's healthy, let Dak run with it. If you feel the need to switch, fine. But right now, no one should feel that need. Not at all. Before we go to break, I just want we are fo- the football five, so we'll talk. I'll just add this in college football, the playoff: Alabama one, Clemson two, Michigan three, Texas A and M four. All right, we're preview week nine. Next, I'm sorry. Hi, I'm Donovan James. Welcome to the Don James High School Football Report, everybody, where we discuss and debate the hottest prep and college football recruiting topics in the country every week, only here on NGSC Sports, 9.30 Eastern, 
For more, follow me on Twitter at DonJamesSports. If you're in the Pittsburgh area, look up McCrigger Photography on Facebook. That's M-C-K-R-I-G-E-R Photography. We specialize in senior pictures, portraits, wedding photos, engagement photos, and family photos. Contact us for rates and dates. Would Flex Seal be a better option at your flex position? Do you need a sham wow to clean up the mess you make after your quarterback throws another interception? Then we have the solution for you. I'm Randy Isbell. And I'm Mike Mitchell. And we're here to clean up your fantasy mess with more power than OxyClean. Check out the Fantasy Football to the Max podcast every Monday and Thursday at W2Mnet.com. It's game time, boys, and we know football. Football the Max is the podcast for you if you want in-depth analysis over the NFL and college football. We preview all the action coming your way over the weekend. And we break down all the big action after it's happened. Plus, we tackle all the big news topics and discuss everything when it comes to the gridiron. So come check out Football to the Max every Tuesday morning and Friday morning on the W2M Network. Dylan, what are Blake Bortles' first half stats? 299 yards, two touchdowns, and interceptions. He could do better than that. He knows it. Rachel, what's the latest on Big Ben's leg injury? His leg is healing. He should return to the game. The Steelers will need him the rest of the way, so that's a big break for them. Eric, what's the score in Glendale? Cardinals lead the Patriots 42-7. We all saw that coming. Josh, how are Joe Flacco and Cisa coming along? I mean, I hate to say it, but they're looking good. I mean, they had a great game last week, and they're only one game out of first place in the AFC North. Don't count them being there that long. Do you want to hear more of that? Listen to the Football Five every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, only on the WTM Network. Also, follow us on Twitter, at the Football Five. We, we just gave our reactions off air to Texas A&M being number four. But uh, we'll, we'll stick to NFL for this show. We'll have to do a separate podcast for the college football. Steven, give I'll, our rants I'll, I'll, on that. I'll just give this point. It's garbage. Okay? Absolutely yeah, garbage. That, that is shocking. No love for Washington, like Eric said, all fair. All right. So week nine, here we go. Uh, the first game that comes to my list right here, Pittsburgh and Baltimore. Now, I don't, we don't know if Big Ben's going to start. But honestly, this is looking like and you will never say this ever again the history of Pittsburgh-Baltimore. This is looking, looking like a Pittsburgh upset win. How is it a Pittsburgh upset, okay? We're a better team this year. It's just that we've got Landry Jones because exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that somebody hides Ben Roethlisberger's helmet because I, I love him as a player, but I just think he's too dumb to realize that you need to take time to heal when you get hurt. Because he just wants to go all huck it, chuck it, football. Either way, we have. I, I called it earlier. When the Ravens were 3-0, I said they were the most fraudulent 3-0 team. Because when you looked at their record and looked at the teams they played and the margins they won by, they easily could have been 0-3. And it's, and it's come back to the other side of the scale this season. Their secondary is a mess. Their offense is... A no-go. It, it's so bad that they actually cut and signed Justin Forsett two times since the beginning of training camp this season, and he's actually giving mean 
taking meaningful carries for another NFL team this season. I don't know what's happening up in Baltimore. I'm enjoying laughing at my Ravens fans' friends. But I, I feel like the Steelers win this one easily. Two touchdowns. It's a field goal if Ben plays on one leg. Yeah, this is... I don't know if this is necessarily an upset win. This is a close rivalry. No matter how good the teams are, it always seems to be close, especially when the team is on the road. Of course, Steelers are on the road in this game. And if you remember last year with Ben Roethlisberger, the Steelers went to Baltimore, played a depleted Ravens team, a very injured Ravens team, and lost. Of course, that is one case. But I did want to bring up that the Ravens have a similar team, a healthier team, but the Ravens are still lacking star power and lacking an offense that can produce points. So I think the Steelers will will come away with this one fairly easily. But first, I want to make the point that it is on the road. It is a tough game, always, no matter the circumstances. And they do have Landry Jones at quarterback, we assume. So I don't know if i call it an upset win. Would it be a good win, per se? Maybe. But... I think they're gonna pretty they're gonna do fine in this game because Baltimore has a lot of questions to answer right now, and even with the bye week, I don't know if they're gonna be able to recover from two straight losses in New York. I mean, yes, the Ravens are really reeling right now because of their encounters against the Giants and the Jets. To me, that alone and the way that they have just been terribly disorganizing and inconsistent. I cannot see this as a Pittsburgh upset whatsoever. I mean, the Steelers, they do have Le'Veon Bell back. They've got a tremendous running game. Landry Jones is feeling a little bit comfortable holding his own against the Patriots. I think at this point, especially with Cincinnati kind of eh the past couple of weeks, This is Pittsburgh's time to strike, and I think if anything, they're going to do so. Landry, at this point, he stepped up and can show that he can get better. Just like Josh said, have Ben hide his helmet. Take your time. I can't believe I'm saying this. The reason I call it an upset is because of Landry Jones. I mean, even Josh and Rachel on our last show last week were saying how they were worried Landry Jones is going to run this team into the into the ground. So that's why I feel like this could be an upset. I agree. Baltimore is that's an old team. They need much so much younger players. Possibly even at quarterback. I mean, Joe Flacco's coming off and torn ACL. So that's a factor. Terrell Suggs is injured again. Just a four set on and off. Keeps getting cut and brought back. Baltimore's deteriorating, but... Pittsburgh has Landry Jones, and that's why I would think it could be called an upset in Baltimore. Definitely be an upset if the Ravens win, but uh, I feel you, I see you, I hear you knocking, but I don't think I can let you in for some reason. Yeah, that's fair enough for me, but I mean, now here's something crazier than that. The game after this one kicks off is Dallas and Cleveland. Now I wonder oh, Cleveland's going to get run over by Zeke Elliott. 
Um, I'm a little worried as a Cowboys fan, actually. They just signed Jamie Collins. Well, they they traded for him. They're around picks on the Patriots. He's a very tough defensive player. I've watched him play in New England. He can make some plays. And Corey Coleman's cleared to play. He's an amazing wide receiver. So with those two and Josh McCown starting, I am, as a Cowboys fan, worried going into Cleveland. Now, guys, you might probably think I'm crazy. You're, you're being ridiculous. You are overthinking it far too much. You've got to remember, we're talking about professional football in Cleveland after 1995. Nothing good has happened there. This is still a franchise and an organization that has looked overwhelmed at times. And that is the thing you don't want to do as a professional team. Look overwhelmed. I mean, you can just look at the tape. All right, I wouldn't be surprised if this Browns team goes 0-16. Yes, they added Collins, who is a great defender, but he's not going to turn that defense around. They have my, they've got Josh McCown starting under center, but that's not going to turn their offense around, and neither is Corey Coleman. That, like I said all year, this is a team that just doesn't have the talent and has been designed to be terrible this year. You've got nothing to worry about. Yeah, look, there's always a chance, no matter how good a team is, for the occasional slip-up. But this is a Browns team, the only winless team in the NFL. They've been the only winless team for a long time now. And the Cowboys have had some of their own slip-ups against a team that is definitely worse than them, especially against the 49ers when they only won by a touchdown. But we've talked about this earlier. A win's a win in the NFL. There's no style points. And Cleveland is probably is much worse than San Francisco. They have individual talent. But when you put the pieces together, they are just simply atrocious. Even when you add in Jamie Collins, Corey Coleman, and a healthy Josh McCown, that is a good start. But it's not going to help when you're playing a team in Dallas that's won six straight, has a momentum. Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott are playing like Rookie of the Year and even MVPs. So I don't know if you've got much to worry about. You can really never give a team an, a W before the game unless it's the Patriots playing the Browns. But I'm, I'm giving Dallas a pretty good chance of winning this game, assuming nothing crazy happens. Personally, I have seen the Browns at their best this season. First quarter against the Ravens. They scored 20 points. The rest of that game, they were nearly shut out. Now, granted, as a little bit proven last week against Philadelphia, the Cowboys can let some things go on defense. But I think the Browns, the fact that even with McCown back in the loop, back under center, the Cowboys don't have much to worry about. If you can quell them in the first quarter, say 7-0, 10-0, 10-3, ride that wave the rest of the way and you'll be fine. No way that they're built to come back or keep it competitive if they don't even start fast. Okay, so I believe we've come to the conclusion I'm overreacting and the Cowboys are looking at an easy win in Cleveland. Okay. Now, this game, everybody everybody in here knows what a dark horse is. There is a game in the 4 o'clock slot that I believe 
is a dark, very dark horse game. That's the Titans and the Chargers. Tennessee is quietly, quietly winning. I believe they're what four and three record, maybe maybe four and four. Anybody know? Yeah, they are four and four. It's actually the first time they've been at five hundred at the midway point of the season since two thousand eleven. So they're definitely on the up track. Of course, they beat the Jaguars last week. Don't know how much of an achievement that is, but of course we have to remember <laughs> that. Winning in the NFL is never easy unless you're playing the Browns or even the Jaguars, but there's no style points. You win, you win. And if they played in college football, they would definitely get style points, probably a beat down on the Jaguars. And as you were talking about, this is going to be a very interesting game. San Diego is playing very well despite them only being 3-5, and five. and Tennessee has a very, very, very good chance of winning their division because of how poor it is and how they're playing right now. We've got a matchup of a young quarterback in Marcus Mariota and a veteran quarterback in Phillip Rivers. San Diego is being up, but they've proven that they can get past those injuries. They've hung with Denver both times. They beat them in their first matchup, and they almost beat them in their second matchup. So this is definitely an interesting game. This happens to be a very entertaining week. At least we hope it will. So it's not getting the attention it probably deserves. But it is going to be a very entertaining game, and one that should definitely come down to the wire. So, yeah, um, uh, you know, Dylan, go ahead, Steven. Dylan pretty much took what I was going to say, that the Chargers could easily be one of the best teams in the AFC had they held on to their fourth quarter leads. Go ahead, Josh. I am not excited to see this game. Marcus Mariota will probably be a quality NFL quarterback, but not right now. He does. He also doesn't have the talent around him. The only reason why this team is at 500 is because they play in the AFC South, which is, I'm trying to think of a PG way to describe this. Uh, uh, terrible? No, no, no. Per- terrible is not the abomination to my eyes that watching a game between two AFC South teams has been this season. Mm. Uh, th- but you know what? You get the point there. The Chargers, I think they should get this win just because they've had a lot of bad breaks. They are one of the better teams in the league, and also, gosh darn it, Phillip Rivers just is going to catch a couple of breaks. He's going to go down as one of the best quarterbacks to never make a Super Bowl appearance when he retires, if his career continues on this track. And Josh, you're right. The Chargers, they've had leads. They've been able to outplay their opponents for 40, 45, 50 minutes, and then they blow it. They've just been unlucky. And at some point, over the course of even a season, that luck turns around. With Tennessee, I said this when Mariota got drafted. If he's not in a Chip Kelly system, he has a fairly low ceiling. That's been proven now. Yes, the AFC South is words that I can't even fathom. That's how bad it is, especially this year. Plus, their head coach is still Mike Malarkey. I've seen what Mike Malarkey can do, and there's a reason why he can't hold down a job. That tells me enough. I think the Chargers, with all of their bad breaks, they're going to get this one. I feel a bit bad for Marcus, but something... 
a lot really has got to change around him for him to really show why he was drafted as high as he was. So we have a few different uh, reactions to this game. I think it's going to be a great game. Dark Horse teams. Uh, so I, I hope I get it on the TV I'll be watching on next Sunday. But the game of the week, I think we can all agree here. Sunday night. There it is against the Broncos. It's two 6-2 and two teams. Top of the AFC West. Sunday night. So it's prime time. I mean, what else? How can this not be? How can you not be hyped for this game? This is going to be very exciting. I said this earlier in the show. Whoever wins this game for me is on track to be the division champion. Of course, a lot can change in a couple of months. But whoever wins this game, these are the two top teams in the AFC West. These are perhaps some of the best teams in the AFC period. And it is match a matchup of a Super Bowl te- winning team last year and a team that's won a division five straight years versus an up-and-coming Raiders team that is going to challenge the Broncos for the first time in a long time. The Broncos have basically gone untouched in this division for me- for all of those five years. It's going to be a very entertaining game, and it's going to be a very telling sign for Derek Carr. I said he's been playing phenomenal so far this season, but he's probably going to be getting his biggest test so far this season, playing against the Denver Broncos defense, one of the best in the league, holding teams to some of the lowest outputs in the league it's going to be a tough test for the Raiders team as a whole luckily for their defense who has been one of the worst in the league Denver's offense is not going to produce as much points as Oakland can allow to some of the better offenses but Denver's offense can produce when they need to without CJ Anderson and with Devontae Booker starting and running back it's going to be interesting but if I had to pick I actually, let me save that for later in the show because that probably will end up being one of my picks, but it's going to be a very, very close game, probably a low-scoring game, and it's going to be a big test for Derek Carr. Well, I, I said that Dallas and Philadelphia was going to be a bit of a lower-scoring game, and, well, look at how that turned out. I think this is going to be a big test, but I think not just for Derek Carr... I think this is going to be a test for Jack Del Rio, facing his old team, facing his old defense that he coached to a Super Bowl. What adjustments has he seen? What uh, patterns, what movements does he still know? How can he take advantage of that? And especially, hopefully, Wade Phillips, terrible collision on the sideline, All reports said that he was supposed to be back to work yesterday. I hope he's all the best because this is going to be potentially a matchup of two of the better defensive minds in this generation. I'm super excited for this because it is your classic battle of a high-powered offense with the Raiders versus a great defense with the Broncos. And as someone who grew up watching the Blitzburg Steelers, I'm always going to pick the defenses to win battles like this. It's going to be a great game. It's ultimately going to come down to who makes more plays, the Broncos' offense or the Raiders' defense. And yeah, Trevor Simeon is a game manager, but he is pretty damn effective at what he does managing the game. So I'm 
perfectly fine having him drive last minute against that questionable Raiders defense. I'll, I'll, when I think of this game, all I can think of is what happened last time these two teams met in Denver. Week whew, week 15, I think it was. Khalil Mack had five sacks on Brock Osweiler. While there's no Brock Osweiler in Denver anymore, the Raiders defense, I, I have a feeling the Raiders defense is going to do the same thing they did to Brock that they'll do to Simeon. Now, it might not happen, but we'll see. I'm hoping, though, for an exciting game. I mean, it's for first place in the AFC West. When you're for, when you're playing for first place, you want to play your best. Both teams, I hope, play at their best. I expect them to play at their best, and uh, I hope to see another overtime game on Sunday night that does not go into a tie because ties are for suits. <laughs> so we've come to the point in the show where we do our picks. Uh, we'll start with Dylan tonight because Eric got a little few things going on over there. Dylan, let's start with you. Blowout, close game, upset of the week. All right. We literally just talked about this game a minute ago. I'm going to make it as my close game of the week. Broncos, Raiders, two of the top teams in the AFC West. Equal records, top top offense versus top defense makes for an intriguing showdown in prime time. I expect this to be a very close game. I've said it. It's going to be low scoring, and it's going to come down to the wire. And as Josh mentioned, which weaker unit can make a play? Is it the defense of the Raiders or is it the Broncos offense? I love Cleo Mack on the Raiders defense. The Denver offense is not very strong, but they have the playmakers to make this, to make enough plays to win the game. So it is going to be a very close game, but I'm going to give this one to the Raiders. They're at home. They have a lot of momentum. Denver does too. But I'm going to give this to Oakland. I think their offense is going to play well despite them playing Denver's defense. And I think Khalil Mack and that defense make just enough plays on a weaker Denver offensive line to pull out at least, at the very least, a field goal win. And I think that's how it's going to turn out at the end of regulation. So that is my close game of the week. For my blowout of the week, I think this has probably been a common theme with blowouts. But it's going to go to Cleveland. And that is the Cowboys versus the Browns. How can I not pick this as a blowout? I mean, look, Cleveland is 0-8, only winless team in football. They do have Corey Coleman coming back. They have Jamie Collins in his first game. But they just don't have enough to keep up with Dallas. Dallas's defense has been playing well enough to complement this offense that has been playing lights out with Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott playing at MVP-like levels. And I don't think this game is going to be even close in Cleveland. I think this is going to be at least a 20-point game, if not a 17-20-point to 20 point game. But it is definitely not going to be anywhere close than what they would probably want it to be. And as for my upset game of the week, there are a lot of intriguing games that could cause upsets this week. And for me, I'm going to go to Minnesota. I think... Minnesota is going to be angry that they've now lost two straight games, but I don't think they have answers. Their offensive line is very weak. They did nothing at the trade deadline. Sam Bradford is starting to show everyone that he is Sam Bradford. Their defense is still one of the best in the league, but I don't know if the offense has enough to keep up with the Detroit Lions, and I think the Lions come into Minnesota and beat the Vikings 
It's going to be a very close game. It's a divisional rivalry, but I'm going to give this one to the Lions. We'll go to Josh next. All right, so for my blowout game, I'm going with the Thursday night game. I know I was one of the people who said that one of the sleeper teams of the season would be the Buccaneers. Well, I I think I picked them a season too early because you can see flashes of talent, especially with Mike Evans, that receiver, and his uh, connection with Jameis Winston. But it's not just going to happen now. Meanwhile, the Falcons, they're firing at all cylinders. Got a dynamic running game. Matt Ryan is looking like the first overall pick he was. And their defense is playing pretty damn well right now. As for my upset, I am going to go with the Saints versus the San Francisco 49ers. Why? Because the Saints defense is bad. And uh, Colin Kaepernick is just dynamic enough, even though he's not the mold-breaking quarterback we thought he would be, to give that Saints defense some problems. And my close game of the week, it's going to be a matchup between two marquee quarterbacks who need a better supporting cast. I've got the Colts at the Packers being the one that goes down to the wire with the Packers winning because Aaron Rodgers is still kind of a football god. All right, Eric. We'll go to your picks next. Okay. For this one, I initially didn't want to put it as my blowout, but then again... The way that the sports universe is treating things. On a previous podcast, one of our hosts said it would really be awesome if the Cavaliers wind up winning the title, which they did. The Indians wind up winning the title, which they're up 3-2. And the Browns go 0-16. They're halfway there. Personally, with McCown at quarterback, even though they are at home, and with Dak Prescott shaking off the few cobwebs that he had. I am not seeing too much about Cleveland that will make this close even early. So, Cowboys-Browns, that's going to be my blowout. And they will get one more bit of revenge from their playoff meetings from back in the late 60s. My close game of the week, I actually have to go with what I've said before. And I believe Dylan said this too. Broncos, Raiders, you've got potentially two fantastic defensive minds going out. One young but gaining experience quarterback in Derek Carr. Another fairly young quarterback just now starting to get some momentum in Trevor Simeon. And I'm always looking at divisional games as far as things that could go down to the wire. So... That one is my close game. My upset. You know what? I'm going to another divisional game about this simply because when you don't have faith in two teams, but they have to play each other anyways, you never know the craziness that would happen. I'm going to be getting a lot of calls from my friend because 
if I had to pick an upset given recent form, Jets, Dolphins, I don't know if Jayaji can really keep this up. And I think now that Fitzpatrick is the guy since Chino Smith got hurt, maybe this is the wake-up call that he needs. Maybe this is the call that he hopes to get. I don't know. But it's one of those things to where this could easily convalesce and the Jets could take this one. As always, great picks by everybody. I'm going a different angle from just about all of your picks. I'll start with the blowout. We're going to wherever the Chiefs play. Kansas, Missouri, wherever that border, wherever the Chiefs play on the side of the board. Whichever side of the border the Chiefs play on. Missouri. They're in Missouri. Missouri. I figured as much. I was just... Yeah, the Jaguars, are, they're, they're not the team everybody thought they were at all. And there is no way that they beat the Chiefs. It's just not happening. Chiefs are going to win by at least 35 points. And you can book it. <laughs> I say the craziest things. Close game, Sunday night. Oakland-Denver. They're playing for the division title. This could be a big, huge factor at the end of the season. Winner of this game could win the division. It could come down to this one game here. And I hope that both teams give us what we want. Great game. Upset, I'm going to San Diego. Now, the Chargers, yeah, they kept it close, and they've upset the Falcons. But they're still 3-4, uh, and four, and Titans are 4-4. Four and four. So if you want to look at it that way, Titans beating Char- the Chargers beating the Titans is an upset in my book. So that's going to do it for us. Here are the Football Five. Eric Watkins, Dylan Goldman, Joshua Laurie, I'm Stephen Err. Enjoy Week 9. We'll be back next week to recap it all and preview week 10 here on the Football Five. The following podcast is a W2M Network partnership production. Visit W2Mnet.com for all of our other great podcasts, plus news, reviews, articles, and opinions from the worlds of wrestling, video games, football, and entertainment.